The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your 5 at 5. Stocks coming off their best day in months on some cooler-than-expected consumer price data. We'll get a read on the producer inflation side later today. Futures in the green this morning looking to build on yesterday's gains. Global stocks following Wall Street's lead higher, helped out by some positive economic news from China as well as the U.K., Retail earnings remain front and center, with Target set to report in just over an hour. We speak with one investor who is long the stock. Plus, getting set for the Biden-Xi face-to-face at the Apex Summit later today, we lay out what is at stake. And big names making some big moves in the latest batch of reports that reveal their insider holdings, including a new bearish bet from famed investor Michael Burry. It is Wednesday, November 15th. 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Mike Santoli in for Frank Holland. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Pretty dramatic day yesterday. Uh, S&P 500 up almost 2% on the day. Bond yields much lower. That was after a CPI report came in cooler than expected. Zero percent, zero gain uh, in consumer prices month to month. Uh, Bonds rallied, stocks rallied. This brought the S&P 500 back to about a two-month high. So recovered most but not all of the decline from July. Uh, You see uh, this morning, uh, that was yesterday's move this morning, you're seeing a little modest follow-through to the upside. The Dow had its third positive session in a row yesterday. Now, even bigger moves for the Russell 2000 and the transports. These have been the hardest hit areas of the market. Uh, Russell 2000 up more than 5%, its best performance since November of 2022. Uh, that, that was only uh, you know, a little over a year ago. Surging stocks matched only by a sharp drop in bond yields. That really was the catalyst for the entire move. The 10-year yield falling from uh, about 460 down to 446, so under 4.5%. That also brings it back roughly to uh, September levels. The rest of the curve following suit. Market effectively saying they believe the Fed is done hiking rates. Now, in energy, oil, pretty quiet as it has been for some time. A big part of that cool inflation report was gasoline prices coming down, actually backing off a little bit today. uh, WTI down a half a percent. Global markets following Wall Street's lead higher, plus some positive economic news from China and the U.K. in the mix. Juliana Teitelbaum in our London newsroom with the action, which also includes uh, some cooler inflation, Juliana. Mike, good morning. Well, let's kick off with Asia, and then we'll get to that cooling inflation here in the U.K. It was a strong session overnight. The biggest mover uh, to the upside, the Hang Seng over in Hong Kong, that market gaining nearly 4%, so really joining the Wall Street rally in a meaningful way. The Nikkei 225 in Japan also trading much higher, about 2.5% worth of gains. The Shanghai Composite in the mainland, a little bit more muted. Um, We've got about 0.6% worth of gains for that market. As for European trade, we're also 
continuing higher here in Europe after a strong session yesterday. The stock 600, the main benchmark, surged about 1.3% in yesterday's trade. So not quite the strength that we saw stateside, but still a robust rally nevertheless. This morning, FTSE 100 is outperforming. We're up 75 basis points. This comes as sterling has fallen back versus the U.S. dollar. And this is where the inflation print comes in, Mike. U.K. inflation slowing sharply in October to 4.6%. This is welcome news for the Bank of England and also welcome news for the U.K. government, with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak coming in um, and saying at the beginning of his tenure that his goal was to have inflation by the end of the year. With this print, he, we have seen that come through, and it's going to be welcome news for him given the changes that have come to the U.K. A conservative Party over the last 48 hours or so. As for the macro picture, seems to be a similar story here as to what you saw in the U.S. yesterday, those inflation pressures beginning to cool and perhaps giving the Bank of England some breathing room similar to what the interpretation is for the Fed. Theme, uh, Juliana, appreciate that. Let's keep the conversation going and bring in Chantico Global CEO Gina Sanchez. She's also a CNBC contributor. And Gennady Goldberg, senior U.S. rate strategist at TD Securities. Uh, welcome to you both. Good morning. And um, Gennady, I'd love to start with you in terms of whether the market got it right yesterday in terms of buying treasuries, concluding effectively that the Fed has likely uh, had its last rate hike as of July, uh, and therefore it's now the countdown to, to when they might be able to ease. I think they did. Uh, you know, we've already not had a hike at the September and November meetings. Um, you know, December is not being priced anymore. I, I do think, you know, the market can cautiously expect that the Fed will not hike again. I certainly think the Fed won't tell us. Uh, but I do think this move lower in rates tells you just how uh, much breathing room the Fed actually does have in terms of uh, not having to uh, push rates sharply higher. You're seeing inflation slow down. The big question for us is going to be, is growth going to follow suit? And we think gradually it will. So we think that soft landing is not really going to play out as the market expects. How is it going to be different than what the market expects? So you think that we're actually going to have a downturn in the economy eventually? Correct. Uh, right now, we're still calling for a second quarter recession next year. We do think things will slow down. Um, we're seeing it very marginally at the moment. Certainly no signs of recession yet. Uh, but I think in the next three to six months, you are going to see uh, retail sales slow down. You're going to see that consumer start to come off. Uh, and company profits are going to start to slip a little bit as well. And that will set up for a, a relatively modest downturn. We're not calling for you know anything akin to COVID or 2008, but more of kind of a, your run-of-the-mill recession that basically forces the Fed to come in and cut rates. Got it. And, and Gina, in terms of how stocks uh, took the news yesterday, now clearly we've been in about a three-month downturn. We've come off the lows after that 10% correction. But the economically sensitive parts of this market, the riskier areas, had been hurt much more. They bounced more yesterday. What's your read on the action? Um, so I think that there are still some unpriced risks left in the market. But, you know, I think that, that all else being equal, inflation should continue to cool. And that is the assumption that everything else rests on. If inflation continues to cool, the Fed can continue um, to stay put, uh, stand pat, and eventually um, that, in, that, you know, that lack of inflation will be kind of a challenge for corporations. Remember that inflation is very good for corporations, and corporate earnings benefited greatly in terms of margin expansion during that inflationary bout. Um, and that's going to 
going to start to go away. Margins are under pressure, and we're seeing that. So that should continue to go into the slowdown. And if you look at what has been blunting the effect and the reason we haven't really gone into a recession is that a lot of consumption has blunted that effect. And that consumption used to be COVID stimulus, um, but it switched eventually to credit card debt. And that credit card debt is getting more and more expensive. So that at some point is unsustainable. Um, so that says that the slowdown that that um, that a lot of economists have thrown in the towel on um, that technical recession is probably still in the cards. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, credit card debt has gone up. Consumer balance sheets don't look as strong as they did. But is it not really just normalizing to where we would have expected it to be uh, absent some of the, the stimulus effects? It just seems as if we're not really at those extremes in terms of how stressed the consumer appears uh, that we have typically been right before a recession, Gina. Well, yes, except that if you look at, if you compare credit card balances to previous credit card balances, you're forgetting the fact that those previous credit card balances were at rates like 10 and 12 percent, and now they're at rates like 20 and 23 percent. That is a very big difference in terms of the actual the actual cost of carry, right? So that is taking a bigger bite out of consumption capability. Uh, Gennady, in terms of the implications for the bond market, uh, we've obviously been dealing with this situation where nobody was quite sure why long-term yields were going up when they were uh, from the summer. Uh, there was obviously a component that the economy had been stronger. The Fed said we're going to keep rates higher for longer. And there was maybe a little bit of sticky inflation expectation, but also the big Treasury supply story. Where does that leave us right now in terms of your expectations for where yields can go? I think it leaves us in a bit of a tug of war. Um, and I think that's going to be the theme for the next three to six months. It's really this tug of war between, you know, more supply, and I certainly think more supply is coming, and macro fundamentals. You know, supply really only matters when times are good, when stocks are going up, when risky, when investors really have a choice of what they can buy. You know, once the economy starts to turn, once you start to see the macro fundamentals really start to shift lower, then we get a sense that you know supply doesn't matter quite as much. We are looking for more uh, you know safe haven assets. Uh, inflation doesn't matter quite as much. So I do think you're going to start to get that adjustment probably sometime in the next three to six months. Right now, supply still matters. So I don't think this is going to be a linear move lower in rates. I do think this move is going to be quite choppy, um, and the the market is going to react to data. It's going to react to auctions. Uh, it's going to react to just about everything. But, you know, we're still long rates. We went long rates a couple of weeks ago. I think that trade's going to continue to work, but it's not going to go in a straight line. And Gina, it sounds like, you know, your preference would be to remain somewhat defensive um, and, you know, not necessarily buy into this idea that we uh, can have this relief rally turn into something bigger if the soft landing, uh, you know, is the expectation right now. How would you uh, tactically look to position? Well, one of the things that we know is that when the market is complacent, we think the market is complacent right now, um, you can protect down, you can do downside protection on your portfolio. Um, and that, because one of the things we also know is that um, stocks and bonds have been very correlated. Diversification has not helped. We've seen stocks and bonds go down together, and now they're going up together. Um, so, so one of the things we know is that you have to take a different tack to protecting your portfolio. Um, there, um, we think some well-placed options trading is really where you need to be right now, um, because a lot of the pricing reflects a lot of this complacency that we're describing. All right, Gina, uh, Gennady, thanks so much for uh, starting it off with us this morning. Now to a developing story uh, and on Capitol Hill, where a government shutdown this weekend is looking less likely. The House passing a stopgap measure by a comfortable margin. NBC's Bree Jackson 
joins us now with more on the bill and how new House Speaker Mike Johnson got it across the finish line. Brie. Good morning, Mike. So it's not a done deal quite yet. The bill now heads to the Senate, which needs to pass the measure before President Biden can sign it into law. The plan does help Congress avert a government shutdown at the end of the day on November 17th, if it does move forward in the Senate. In a bipartisan vote on Tuesday, the House passed Speaker Mike Johnson's laddered approach to funding the federal government. Uh, listen to this. More Democrats voted for the stopgap funding bill than Republicans did. Now, this was the first major test for the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson. The bill does not include spending cuts, nor does it include supplemental aid for Israel or Ukraine. The measure now moves to the Senate, where senators, uh, Senate leaders Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell have signaled that they'd support the con uh, continuing resolution and try to get it passed uh, quickly. The Senate is expected to pass the measure sometime this week, which will then set up the next spending showdown for mid-January. Mike? All right. By just a couple of months. Bree, thanks so much. Uh, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, getting set for the Biden chief face-to-face -face at the APEC summit later today, we lay out what is at stake. Plus, the bull case for Target ahead of the company's earnings report. And later, big names making some big moves in the latest batch of 13F reports, including a new bearish bet from famed investor Michael Burry. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. President Biden will meet Chinese leader Xi Jinping for the first time in a year today on the sidelines of the APEC summit in San Francisco. The talks could ease tensions between the U.S. and China, but significant progress on the major differences between the, two, the world's two largest economies may have to wait. CNBC's Eamon Javers has more on what to expect. Good morning, Mike. Both leaders landed in San Francisco late yesterday. Air Force One landing shortly before Xi Jinping's Air China flight at San Francisco International Airport. The two leaders didn't see each other on the runway, but they both saw a large gathering of demonstrators, mostly pro-China and waving both American and Chinese flags. Xi Jinping was greeted by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and other U.S. officials, as well as a U.S. military honor guard at the airport. Now, this is not an official state visit, so it's not going to be as heavy on pomp and circumstance 
as we've seen in past years. This one is being billed as a working meeting on the sidelines of the APEC summit. And there's a lot to discuss, ranging from climate change to trade to artificial intelligence. It is clear, though, that expectations are being kept low for major agreements here this week. This meeting is about keeping the relationship from getting any worse, not signing any major new agreements here in San Francisco. The most likely de deliverable is one that could avoid an economically destructive accidental confrontation between the two countries. The resumption of direct military-to-military -military communications, those were suspended after then speaking of the House, Nancy Pelosi, visited Taiwan in 2022. They could reopen those military-to-military -military talks here today. Back over to you. All right, well, let's talk more about what may come out of today's meeting between Presidents Biden and Xi. Joining me now is Zhang Yang, Zoe Liu, Maurice R. Greenberg Fellow for Chinese Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. And Zoe, it's great to have you this morning. I'm interested in the priorities of, of each leader here. Uh, when it comes to President Xi, what is the message that uh, that he would want to send uh, domestically and and I guess to uh, to the United States in not just having this meeting, but uh, making it uh, it seem as if that there are substantive matters that are going to be processed? Yes, thank you very much, Mike, for having me. Uh, you know, domestically, I think President Xi Jinping is facing a lot of challenges in terms of um, a weak or di rather disappointing economic recovery. So very, a very important uh, mission for him is to trying to send the signal that he has the capacity or at least he's trying very hard to stabilize relationship with the United States so that uh, international confidence in the Chinese economy can be regained. Then internationally, or more specifically in terms of U.S.-China relations, I think President Xi Jinping perhaps recognized the cost of a, um, a U.S.-China relationship deterioration. So it is very important for him to stabilize the relationship to avoid an accidental uh, mistake. And then finally, uh, you know, there is an election coming up next year uh, in, in, in Taiwan. So he is also very important for Xi Jinping to make sure that the United States is not necessarily going to support Taiwan independence at this time. We're, we're hearing um, talk of perhaps some agreements on uh, climate change initiatives, on, on fentanyl uh, trade and things like that. Does it, big picture, does it indicate um, an important de-escalation in some of the tensions or are these just gestures? Um, you know, I think that's a very it's a very interesting way you put it, Mike. In terms of uh, whether this would only be some some gesture, you know, I would say that uh, actually climate change is is a very uh, sort of like a, I would call it a, even a low hanging fruit in U.S. China relationship. Even when you know the relationship has been uh, very tense, climate change and the climate cooperation is one one common ground that both Chinese officials and U.S. officials have been talking about, right? And then in terms of fentanyl, I actually do not think state-to-state -state agreement on counter uh, fentanyl, illicit fentanyl trafficking or manufacturing would be uh, would would be any any effective because the making of fentanyl is very much profit driven, and then on top of that, there is a market and a regulatory fra fragmentation inside China. So, um, you know, the, for, for, for 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 from this perspective, it could be a good gesture, but it's not necessarily going to solve the structural challenges in U.S.-China relationship. I mean, those structural challenges. President Biden would would certainly say and has said that the United States does not have an interest in severely weakening China on an economic basis. But there is this, this competition, and a lot of the trade 
uh, issues and technology issues are bound up in, in, in security concerns, or at least they're said to be. Uh, are those going to be somewhat off limits uh, for this meeting? Um, this is the part where, you know, President Xi Jinping, as the uh, top, the top leader of the Chinese political economic system, is supposed to not necessarily be the person uh, delivering specific policy or specific priority areas. Uh, because a lot of these discussions have already been done uh, between Jen Yellen and uh, Ho Lifang uh, earlier, uh, 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 last, uh, early, a few days ago. So from that perspective, he is really trying, he, he, his primary job today is really trying to send the message that, uh, you know, healthy competition uh, is important, but it needs to be a managed competition between the United States and China. And finally, do you have a read on the Chinese people, their current perspective on the relationship with the U.S. and what they would like to see from it? Oh, you know, that's very interesting, Mike. Um, uh, a few days ago, there is this, uh, there is this report saying that um, Ch Chinese people's sentiment to the, United, to the United States has shifted compared with a year ago. Uh, in particular, you know, for um, those who consider the United States as an enemy has dramatically declined. But then, you know, you also see this sentiment change in Chinese leading newspapers, such as the, the, People da the People's Daily, uh, the Stories about flying tiger has been bringing back, and uh, President Xi Jinping also is. Uh, there are also courage stories talking about President Xi Jinping invited his old friend from uh, Iowa. So, from that perspective, we do see that China and the Chinese media uh, has been projecting this strong political will um, mm. to support this relationship recovering. Well, uh, reassuring uh, as as long as it does last. Zoe Liu, appreciate the time this morning. Thank you. Thank you. All right, ahead on Worldwide Exchange, the city that Ken Griffin thinks could replace New York City as the finance capital of the world. We'll be right back. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here. Silvana, good morning. Hi, Mike. Good morning to you. Well, Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai back in a federal courtroom for the second time in two weeks during the company's historic antitrust trial with Epic Games. During his nearly more than two-hour testimony yesterday, Pichai defended the business practices of the Google Play Store, pushing back against accusations of illegal tactics used to maintain dominance in the mobile app market. Pichai adding Google gives Apple 36% of Safari search revenue earned through advertising and continues to compete fiercely with Apple. Cruise announcing it has suspended all supervised and manual operations of its self-driving cars and expanded an independent safety investigation following a crash with a pedestrian last month. Cruise, which is a unit of General Motors, says the suspension impacts around 70 vehicles across the country as it works to rebuild trust from the public and its customers. And New York City could be facing some fresh competition. Speaking with Bloomberg News at a global conference yesterday, Citadel founder Ken Griffin says 
His new home of Miami could eventually replace New York's position as the world's top financial hub in the next 50 years. Griffin has made sizable investments in the city since his move last year, including a $1 billion tower set to serve Citadel's headquarters and donations to hospitals and sports teams, Mike. All right. I remember a decade ago, people were saying London was going to be the one. Right. Now it's Miami. I mean, the palm trees are nice. Maybe for three months out (laughs) of the year. It could be the finish. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We'll see. Thanks, Joanna. All right. Straight ahead, a shocking stat courtesy of the Magnificent Seven that you have to see to believe. We'll lay it out next when Worldwide Exchange returns. It's about 5.30 a.m. in New York, and there's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Global markets trying to build on Wall Street's post-CPI rally and hopes the Fed is done raising rates. On to the Senate. The House passing a bill to avoid a government shutdown. We're live in Washington with whether Congress will get the deal to the president's desk. And retail earnings roll on with Target up next as it looks to snap a string of disappointing results. It is Wednesday, November 15th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Mike Santoli in for Frank Holland this morning. Let's pick up the half hour uh, with a check on U.S. futures after yesterday's monster rally following that cooler than expected CPI report. Ahead of the open this morning, uh, 50 S&P 500 companies are coming off their best day of the year, including Bank of America, Solar Edge Tech, BlackRock, Home Depot and Southwest. Uh, S&P up 1.9%. Also watching the tech sector, the XLK ETF set to open at an all-time high, thanks in big part to the Magnificent Seven, adding a combined $200 billion plus to their market caps just yesterday. Here's the breakdown. Uh, You can see that these are obviously uh, the companies that are worth more than 25% of the S&P altogether. Uh, And here's what they put on just yesterday in terms of their market caps. Now, checking the overseas action. Markets uh, in Asia uh, are also positive uh, at the, uh, you know, following on the the U.S. had some positive uh, economic data out of China. You see Japan up 2.5%, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong up almost 4%, Shanghai trailing just a little bit here, and South Korea up 2.3%. We'll take a look at Europe as well. Uh, Europe uh, also with a positive open. There was some favorable CPI data in the U.K. It feeds into this idea after yesterday's cool CPI numbers in the U.S. that central banks around the world perhaps have been done with their tightening campaigns. And uh, we'll see what the damage ultimately is uh, on all the economies. But markets roughly uh, celebrating across the board. Checking on the bond market was a big part of the story yesterday. Ten-year yields going from above 4.6 percent to below 4.5%. The two-year note yield started yesterday above 5%, now at 485. And that really does follow this uh, conclusion of the markets that the Fed is likely done and uh, in several months perhaps might even be cutting short-term interest rates. Oil prices have largely been quiet uh, for a while here, staying out of the way, uh, I would argue. 77.80 on Brent on uh, WTI, $82 on Brent, down about a half a percent on the morning. Consumer spending remaining a key tell for the outlook on inflation and the economy following yesterday's cooler-than-expected CPI report. Investors now turning their attention to spending trends during the holiday season and the outlook for 2024. 
Here to break it down for us, Target shareholder and the Glenview Trust Company's Bill Stone on his expectations for Target earnings. They are out in the next hour. And MasterCard Steve, uh, Steve Sadoff with the latest spending pulse snapshot. Bill, uh, we'll start with you. Been a very tough run for Target, vastly underperforming the other big box uh, competitors. Concerns about uh, sales trend all year. Earnings estimates have been uh, cut pretty severely. What are you expecting to hear? What would you hope to see uh, from Target today? So I don't think the earnings in this quarter are going to be the reason you want to necessarily own uh, Target. I'll tell you why you do, but I'll just say you're probably going to see earnings you know, down about 4.5% year over year. There are a lot of headwinds, and the other guests will probably talk about that, I would guess. Um, but the big thing about Target is about 50% of their spending comes from discretionary spending. That's higher than, significantly higher than, say, a Walmart. Uh, so they're kind of in the, the crosshairs of what's going on with the consumer. I'd also say I think the consumers moved out you know, during the, the inventory crunch post-pandemic. Uh, you had a lot more holiday spending move into October. That, I think, has been pushed out. And also consumers are more looking for promotions, which, again, hurts profits. So, you know, all that sounds pretty grim for being a shareholder. But uh, I think you have to think about Target in terms of the longer term. So valuation significantly cheaper than, say, a Walmart. In fact, historically uh, has a very widespread relative to history. The second part is the positioning. What I gave you is kind of bad news around the 50 percent in discretionary spend is good news if the economy uh, turns out to be better than many people expect. And that's why I think when you looked at how well Target traded yesterday, um, I think a lot of that is, you know, again, why did the market trade well yesterday? Well, it's because all of a sudden people thought, well, there's even better chance that we have a soft landing. And so uh, I think that's the real big part of the story. The future is the story on Target, not uh, today's earnings. You know, Target uh, during the uh, COVID lockdown. And then even beyond that, the stock doubled. It was given a lot of credit for really making a lot of progress on the omnichannel uh, initiatives, essentially, you know, mm -hmm. allowing people to pick up in store. We've lost the stock has lost the entire gain from that period, sort of done this round trip. Um, is it still uh, was the market wrong to basically say that uh, the target had a better model uh, and that, in fact, that could sustain it strategically for time for some time to come? No, I mean, I think they, they made a lot of progress. That Omnichannel is still a good thing. I, I just think it, it clearly doesn't deserve the multiple of, say, a Walmart, I don't believe. Um, but again, it's a relative in terms of does it deserve better than what it's getting today? And we'd argue, yes, it does. You know, it's a, it's a brand people like to shop at. That's a value. You know, there's still, I'd say retailing in general, is, as you know, very difficult. Uh, you're going up against, you know, the real tough ones, which is Walmart and Amazon. Target has a lot that's in the sites of Amazon, but they've done a good job. They've got the Ulta partnership. That's actually, if you focus on one thing that's going very well within Target, uh, it would be the beauty side of things that continue to do well while uh, all this other discretionary has had a, had a tougher run. And just quickly, do you think Target ought to try and change the mix to more, you know, kind of everyday non-discretionary grocery type things? Uh, I mean, that's a tough call because, again, you're going up against you know, there's some benefit to being at least slightly different from Walmart. Mm -hmm. um, they're a monster to compete against. So, uh, you know, th there is that, um, you know, the nice part about Target with having some of their own brands and things that people come in to spend for. Uh, and you get the leverage on the way up while the economy is doing well. So uh, I'm not so sure that's the solution either. All right. Well, we'll see what they deliver uh, in just uh, several minutes here, Bill. Appreciate the time this morning, Bill Stone. Thank you. 
All right, a big part of Target's product mix, apparel and accessories. New data out from MasterCard showing online retail sales grew by more than 8% during October, driven by strength in online apparel. Joining me now with the full report and the first on CNBC is Steve Sadoff, senior advisor at MasterCard. So, Steve, uh, bottom line, uh, how do things look in October? That's a pretty strong, you know, online number that uh, that you're reporting there. But there's perception that October was soft across the board. You know, I think that the reality is that the consumer was spending in October and they have been spending throughout the course of the year. Consumers, 70 percent of the U.S. economy, and they have been relatively healthy. There were a lot of people thinking that it was all going to fall apart and it hasn't. The numbers have come down from earlier in the year, largely because inflation has come down so much. If you were looking at the beginning of the year, you saw inflation at, let's call it 7 8%, and you saw overall retail sales at 7 or 8%. Now you're seeing positive retail sales and inflation in that 2 to 3% range. The expectation for the holiday season is about a 3.7% overall growth. And if you saw the inflation report yesterday, you're seeing that it's going to be growing a bit above the inflation rate. Digital is growing a bit faster than the overall uh, store retail sales. That's a reversion to where it used to be pre-pandemic. During the pandemic, you had a little bit of anomalies across all of the categories. The uh, digital blew up and then came back down. And now you're seeing digital outperform the stores again. I would expect to see digital have a strong uh, uh, season. The month of October, you had a lot of the early promotions. You had prime days. You had the retailers getting out and kicking off the season with more of a focus on the digital side than you did on the store side. The November timeframe is going to be a big, big focus on the stores. And this is going to be, you know, as your prior guest said, this is a value promotionally oriented season. I wouldn't say it's a different promotional season than you see in more normal times. Mm -hmm. You had the dislocation of supply chains a year ago where you had some very deep promotions. I expect it's going to be more normalized, but it's going to be heavy. You'll have a big peak during the uh, Thanksgiving holiday season. Mm -hmm. During Thanksgiving, you already see the uh, sale breaks taking place right now. You'll probably see a yeah. lull after Thanksgiving and then a big push just before Christmas. But if you put it all together, I actually view this as a bit of a reversion to the norm. Yeah. And you're seeing it by categories. Uh, you saw homeware, which had a massive gain during the early pandemic, have slowed down. Restaurants continue to do very well because you're in that experiential mode. Yeah. Now, you mentioned 3.7 percent anticipated uh, holiday season sales growth. You do actually have a slightly longer, I guess, uh, Thanksgiving to Christmas stretch this year than uh, than often we do have. But, you know, goods inflation in that report yesterday was was actually close to negative. Right. So it's all services that are creating the uh, uh, the what inflation we have left for the most part. How does that set retailers up? It would seem to me that adds to the pressure uh, to do a lot of discounting. Well, if you look at inflation, you're right that you've got to look at it on a category by category basis uh, with food inflation, for example, at a bit higher than some of the other uh, categories. And that's why I think you're seeing a bit higher growth in restaurants. As an example, part of it's because the higher inflation rate that you're seeing in the uh, category. Uh, I think that the, the the unit volume growth is ultimately you, you want to be looking at that as well. Uh, I would expect to see categories 
like apparel, uh, you know, having some inflationary pressure, especially because you see the discounting that goes on during the holiday period. But this is all expected uh, for, and you're seeing it on a year-on-year basis. So even though the trends, are, you're going to see a little lower inflation yeah. in uh, some of these categories, it's a year-on-year is what you're most interested in. And I'm expecting to see a relatively healthy performance uh, coming out of the rest of the next several months. And the inflation numbers yesterday uh, indicate that there's a little bit of consumer sentiment that's going to be buoyed. Yeah. And that should be good for the consumer. Yep. Gas prices down and all the rest. Uh, Steve Sadoff, thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. Turning to a developing story uh, in Washington, the House approving a bill to avoid a government shutdown with just days to go. Emily Wilkins joins us now with more. So, uh, Emily, where does this uh, take us next? Well, Mike, it takes us right over to the Senate. They are the ones now that are going to have to move this House package to avoid a government shutdown. And this, of course, comes after the House did pass that bill yesterday afternoon. It had really strong bipartisan support. And remember, this is a pretty unique package. It would extend funding for part of the government until January 19th and the other part until February 2nd. Now, this dual track, it's supposed to be something that will help lawmakers complete their work. But senators aren't huge fans of it. Even so, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said yesterday that the overall bill, it doesn't have any conservative priorities. It's going to stop a shutdown and it's something they can live with. I'm heartened, very cautiously so, that Speaker Johnson is moving forward with a CR that precisely omits the the sort of hard right cuts that would have been non-starters for Democrats. Senate Leader McConnell and I will figure out the best way to get this done quickly. Republican leader Mitch McConnell has also supported the House bill, but not all Republicans are on board. In the House vote yesterday, 93 Republicans voted against the bill over concerns that it doesn't have items like border security or spending cuts. And those same issues could crop up in the Senate. And remember, over in that chamber, any one member can delay getting legislation passed. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, who has stalled some of these spending bills in the past, told reporters he's not sure if he will attempt to delay passage of the current bill, but he does want to see the bill reduce spending, which it does not do at the moment. So with only three days left, there is not a much time. The Senate is mostly in agreement that they want to pass this. It is just a matter of process. And just a note, of course, we could go into a shutdown, Mike, uh, but obviously the shutdown will begin on Saturday at midnight. And if Congress can resolve it over the weekend, the impact should be overall minimal to the economy and, and to the workforce. Yeah, certainly a bit of a relief there. And, and Emily, uh, you mentioned that, it, that the, uh, the package does not have any of those conservative priorities. Is it basically a cut and paste in terms of current spending levels? And so whatever uh, fight there is uh, on a lot of those spending items is just deferred for a couple of months? That's basically it, Mike. I mean, this is something where a lot of Republicans say they still want to see spending cuts, but they're going to wait to sort of push that battle down the road, looking at sort of that mid-January deadline. Of course, there's no guarantee that we're not going to be here come mid-January. The House and the Senate, they've both passed a number of these spending bills, but they are just nowhere close to an actual agreement on something that can get through both chambers. And it's going to be a lot of work for them to do in the next month and a half. And I think there's just a real question here uh, whether or not we are going to see some of these long-term bills actually wind wind up on Biden's desk and being enacted. All right, Emily, appreciate you uh, walking us through it all. Thanks very much.
All right, coming up, digging into some of the moves by some of Wall Street's biggest names, where the likes of Warren Buffett and Michael Burry are putting their money to work. We're back in a moment. Time now for your big money movers, all about hedge funds and other institutional investors disclosing some big moves in the third quarter, starting with Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, selling out of positions in big blue chip names like General Motors, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, and UPS, while trimming stakes in Amazon and Chevron, among others. Berkshire Hathaway's top equity holdings do remain Apple, Bank of America, American Express, Coca-Cola, and Chevron. Big short investor Michael Burry's Scion Asset Management making some new bearish bets, including 2,500 put options uh, against shares of travel platform booking holdings and 100,000 puts against the iShares Semiconductor ETF. It's unclear what price levels those options are struck, and this is as of September 30th. Meanwhile, notable moves from Soros Fund Management disclosing new stakes in some recent IPOs, including Instacart, Arm Holdings, and Clavio, while exiting stakes in Rivian, Microsoft, and NVIDIA. Just ahead, the one word every investor needs to know today. Plus, the apparel maker high on our next guest's shopping list and the partnership she says could provide more momentum in that name. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Shares of JD.com moving higher after reporting a nearly 2% increase in revenue, this following heavy discounting by JD as it competes with rivals like Alibaba and PDD Holdings, stock up 6%. Retail sales in China growing by more than 7.5% during October, topping expectations. Industrial production also beating estimates, up more than 4.5%. The UK following the US's lead, reporting a steep drop in inflation from 6.7%, to 4.6% in October. That is the lowest level there in two years. GM's Cruise suspending all supervised and manual car trips in the U.S. and expanding its safety investigations into the vehicles following a San Francisco crash with a pedestrian last month. And Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai defending the Google Play Store's business practices before a federal court yesterday, pushing back against accusations of illegal tactics used to maintain dominance in the mobile app marketplace. And here's what to watch today ahead of the open. We got economic data, including weekly mortgage applications, producer price index, and retail sales. Also, watching for earnings from Target, TJX, and Cisco Systems. Also tracking the APEC Summit in San Francisco as CEOs and other business leaders meet with top political leaders today. And speaking of CEOs, be sure to catch a CNBC exclusive with Microsoft's Satya Nadella discussing the company's AI announcements expected at Microsoft's Ignite conference this week. That is at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Now, a busy day ahead. Let's see how futures are shaping up. After yesterday's rally, the S&P up 1.9%. The Russell 2000 was up more than 5%. You see some follow-through to the upside. It was a very broad rally yesterday. S&P looking to add on about a third of a percent. Dow Jones up 100 at the moment. For more on the trading day ahead, let's bring in Tiffany McGee, CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors. She's also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Tiffany, good morning. Uh, you know, yesterday was was pretty much a, an all-in rally. I mean, obviously, a lot of parts of the market were, were pretty depressed coming into it. Uh, 90% of all volume on the New York Stock Exchange to the upside. It brings me to, to, to about your word of the day, because I have a feeling it's not about, you know, just throw a dart and buy whatever you, you hit. It isn't. So my word of the day is selective. And so, you know, we, we watched that rally uh, yesterday. But when you think about 
uh, how um, how uh, the S&P in particular, 500, has performed since the start of the Fed tightening cycle when you strip out those, uh, you know, uh, those like seven uh, uh, um, uh, high growth stocks, tech stocks, right? When you strip out uh, tech, um, the S&P 500 since March 16th uh, really has been down about 4%, right? And then with the median stock being down 5%. So kind of considering that and considering the fact that, you know, we're most likely at the end of the tightening cycle, we really believe there's some opportunities um, for um, for outperformance, but you have to be selective. Yeah, I know you mean from, from March of 2022 when the Fed started to tighten. Now, oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, no, 2022, I, yes. I, I got you. That was clear. Um, now, if the Fed, in fact, has finished tightening, as the market seems to be tentatively believing right now, as of July, typically from July, from the end of the tightening cycle to the first cut, the S&P tends to be up like 10 percent or so. Uh, we're still down from that July high. I guess the point is, uh, is there catch up to do uh, and in what types of stocks? There is catch up to do, right? And so heading into you know holiday season, uh, of course, like some of the names that we're looking, some of the the um, the areas that we're looking at is retail, right? So retail, you know, November and December um, for 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 some companies tends to be really really um, uh, really really positive. Uh, and then also, I think it's also important to note with that CPI report um, uh, release uh, um, releasing. Looking at gas prices, mm -hmm. gas prices are 5% down, right? So remember, like, gas uh, is kind of like a tax to the consumer. So kind of heading into holiday season, uh, we hope that they're going to get a little bit a little bit of relief. Um, and so it's going to be interesting when that, when that October uh, retail sales report comes out to see if those lower gas prices uh, made a bit of a difference in October, maybe a precursor for November and December. Do you want to get to your particular favorite stock in that area? Because it's not one that really has been beaten down along with many other retailers. It isn't, right? So so what, what makes my holiday nice list today is Lulu, right? And so just by the way, what we're looking for kind of going forward in terms of just overall stock picks is a mix of quality growth, value stocks, strong balance sheets, higher margin companies. Uh, and really, we're, um, we're, we very much pay attention to business models, right? And so Lulu uh, announced um, just about a uh, a month and a half ago, their partnership with Peloton, it's going to drive their cost savings down. They're getting rid, rid of the mirror. Um, it also allows Lulu uh, to um, to kind of exit that content creation space because they're going to be rely relying on Peloton to do a lot of that. And then they have a lot of cross-selling opportunities with Peloton's um, as Peloton's apparel uh, partner, um, which is going to really kind of add some additional revenue. I've been waiting for this partnership for years. I think they should have done it a lot earlier. They should have not even gone into mirror territory. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if it's uh, going to be enough to kind of save Peloton, but I think it's going to do tons for Lulu for their for their bottom line. Also, they've got higher gross margins. Uh, last quarter is about mm -hmm. 58, almost almost a uh, um, 59% in Q2. Strong Q2 year over year earn uh, uh, growth um, up 11%. Yeah. 52% international growth and especially 60 61% growth in China. Yeah. Last no, they've been uh, they've been winning uh, this space for sure. Tiffany McGee, really appreciate it. Uh, have Thanks a good day. Time. And Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... 
I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.